Colossians has three sessions because it's over Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is split into three parts. So I wanted to take the last three weeks before Collide and go through those three parts with you. Okay, this is the third and final part, all right? And then after this, we'll have a couple weeks off for different things that I'll explain later. And then in March, high school will be together for the big issue, okay, dating and relationships. And then middle school, you guys will go into the other building and be with Lauren a couple weeks, Brent Baskin a couple weeks, and talk through um, the lies that people tell us about Christianity or lies that Christians believe. It should be an awesome, awesome series, series for both of you, okay? But for tonight... We're finishing up on Romans chapter 12. So Romans 12, 9 through 21, uh, it'll be on the screen. Let's, let's look through it. Let me read it to us, and then we'll jump in. All right, Romans 12, 9 through 21. This is Paul speaking. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, in religious circles, we constantly talk about how becoming a Christian changes us personally. How you becoming a Christian, when you believe, changes you personally. And that's true. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that when you, become a, when you become a Christian, you are a new creation. But you got to think about it because just like new players, individual, new individual players make a new team, just like new individual crops make a new garden, new people means new community. Becoming a Christian changes us. So by definition, it changes how we interact with other people. Being a Christian changes our relationships with others. It's almost picture a bullseye or a target, right? I love target. Picture a target, right? Um, with the, amen. Or the center of impact, or, or like a center of impact with ripple effects, right? Paul spends Romans 12, 1 through 2, right, as the center, talking about how we are made new in Jesus. Then he spends three through eight, you move out a layer. Picture a bullseye, right? The center is 12, 1 and 2. Then three through eight is the next layer, talking about our new life in the church through our spiritual gifts. And now this final layer in Romans 12, the outer ring of the bullseye, is the final layer talking about how we interact with everyone. Christian, non-Christian, friends, even enemies, right? Christians, non-Christians, friends, even enemies. In here... We find good teaching for how we interact with the entire world and hopefully help lead others to Jesus. So let's go a little bit at a time. Romans 12, 9. Romans 12, 9. Paul says this. 
Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing but then does the opposite. So Paul saying, let love be without hypocrisy, is Paul's way of saying, be sincere. Be sincere. Here's why this is important for us, okay? To be sincere in how we interact with people. Sometimes churches can overdose on sugar, okay? Sometimes people can OD on sugar. Now, sugar is sweet, much like myself, right? Your body needs sugar. I'm just going to let that go, right? Your body needs sugar. But listen, but if it's sweet all the time, if your diet is just sugar all the time, you're not actually, look at me, if your diet is sugar all the time, you're not actually getting everything that you need. Christians are honest. We are sincere in our love. We speak the truth in love to people. 1 Corinthians 13.6. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says, Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. If you're not acting truthfully towards them, you might be making them feel good and being not, but you're not actually loving them. So often, we are nice to someone up front. There's that sugar veneer, right? And then we gossip and we backbite behind them. It's just surface level. It looks good, but it's just sugar. There's really nothing healthy about the relationship. You see what I mean? It's a diet that that tastes good at first, but it's just sugar. There's nothing really healthy about it when you get down into it. Your body will not grow on a diet of only sugar. We need to be sure we are in a place where we, we need to be sure that we are a place where we are honest with each other about our feelings so that we can grow in truth and love together. This isn't license for you to just on people, right? This is so that you can speak your mind to create flourishing, to create a deepening of relationships with people. Romans 12, 9 again. Look at the second part of what Paul says here. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Abhor means to hate. Hate what is evil. Listen, Paul is telling us this. True love involves hate. True love involves hate. And it sounds weird, but not if you actually think about it. Jesus tells us in Revelation 2 as an example that a church is teaching people This church that he's talking about in Revelation 2 is teaching people things that he hates. He hates their teaching because he loves the truth. He hates their teaching not just because he's hateful, but because he loves the truth. And when something you love is threatened, you are against that threat. When something you love is threatened, if you really love it, then you are against that threat. Too often, we are so slow to call something wrong that is wrong. But here, Paul tells us this is a necessary part of love. It's a necessary part of love. If you really love something, then you will be angry when that thing is threatened. So often we're taught that anger is not good, is not Christian, is not what we do. You'll hate things that are a threat to this thing that you Love. True love, I know it sounds, you, you probably won't put this on the Instagram later, right? But true love involves hate. I couldn't, people will say this, I could never love a God who hates anything. Well, then it, you can't love the God of the Bible. I love a God 
who doesn't hate anything. Well, that isn't the God of the Bible either. Think about it in terms of an ecosystem, all right? Uh, picture like, I don't know, I don't know, whatever science, what, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Like a big ecosystem with all the animals, right? I love these animals. Oh, I love the deer, and I love the goldfish, and I love the whatever, but I hate bugs. So let's just get rid of, I just don't, I love this part about the ecosystem, but I don't like the bugs. So let's get rid of all the bugs. Anyone in here who halfway knows anything about science at all, forever at all, knows if you take away one part of the ecosystem, especially the insects that you don't like, the whole ecosystem flips into chaos because these bugs were keeping this animal alive or these bugs were keeping this animal in check. So now that the bugs are gone, this animal is running rampant and this animal is extinct and the whole ecosystem starts to collapse. Listen, and in the same way, if you take out the parts of the Bible that you don't like, you destroy the ecosystem of Christianity. The whole thing begins to collapse on itself. If God does truly, fiercely love you, then He will be just as fierce about the things that hurt you. Does that make sense? If He fiercely loves you, if He overwhelmingly, never-endingly, recklessly loves you, then He will be just as intense about the things that could hurt you. In order for Him, His, his hatred of, the, of these things is a sign of how strongly He loves you. So to say that you want a God that doesn't hate anything means that you don't want a God that loves you either. You see how those things go together. Love and hate are opposite sides of the same thing. You cannot have one without the other, or you don't have either. It's about care. That's the word. There are two sides of care. God cares about you. If He doesn't actually hate the things that are against you, then he doesn't actually care about you that way. You destroy the ecosystem of Scripture. Practical. As you get older, you will have to call your friends out on things. And they're going to have to do the same thing to you. And if your friendship can grow deeper in those moments, you'll understand that this person has helped you grow. It's not just sugar all the time. They're telling you things that you don't want to hear. And if you will lean into that, chomp down on that steak, right? You will find that it is actually satisfying, that it's good medicine to your soul. That's the kind of friendships that, those are the guys and girls that'll be with you at your wedding. Not the sugar-coated ones that, that couldn't cut it when things got bad, but the ones who are willing to go into it with you. That's what true love and friendship is. Look at 12.10, 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Give preference to one another. We talked about this last week, so I won't hearken on it too long, but hearken, what in the world? Christians, Christians lower themselves. As you see it, be devoted to one another. Give preference, prefer, give preference to one another. Give preference to the other instead of yourself, right? Christians lower themselves. Listen to me, I didn't say Christians just do good things all the time. It's easy to fake that. You cannot fake lowering yourself giving your agenda up so that the church, so that the other can thrive. We put our agendas on hold for the good of our church and for the good of our neighbor. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, had a good day at work, but I was super wiped out, and I got home, and Kristen called me and was like, hey, uh, my mom's out of town tonight, so we're going to have, and you may not know, Kristen's dad passed away uh, last semester, but 
um, or excuse me, almost a year ago, and she said, you know, since mom's not home, we have to go over to her house and watch uh, my nephew, who's four, and awesome, okay? So in that moment, so, so I've done the good stuff all day. I've done my job. I've been a pastor, for goodness sakes, right? All day. And now I'm home, and Kristen says, now I've got to go do something else that I didn't plan for, that I don't have. You know, you got to, like, work yourself. you got to get some stuff in the tank to go. I have nothing left in the tank. So in that moment, this goes from I'm helping you because it's convenient for me to now I'm helping you and it's inconvenient for me. Now I lose out on my evening by helping you. Will I still help you? That's the key here. That's what Paul means when it says to lower you, to give preference to the other. Helping someone because it's convenient is fine and good. We need to do that. A lot of your life will be helping people because it's convenient. That's fine. But where it really reveals the nature of your heart is, will you help others when it's inconvenient for you? Good Samaritan, right? Now, let's go the other way. Let me kind of helpfully complicate this for you. This is not a license to be a doormat, church people. This is not a license to be a doormat. Sometimes people spend themselves broke helping others so much so that they don't have anything left for their families. Or, bless you, or you help people past the point of being able to help and now you get wiped out and now help, but you keep helping and now it's actually hurting you, you see. The point is, are you willing to, are you living in such a way that you are able to put yourself on hold for someone else? In, in good wisdom, right? Not all the time to where you just completely collapse or you start hurting other people, right? But are you willing to live in a regular pattern of life where you are willing not to just fake it and do it, but to actually put yourself on hold for someone else? Serving others doesn't just mean being nice when it's convenient for you. That's part of it. That's good. But Jesus will help you. And this is kind of the theme Jesus will help you become more and more willing to say to yourself, this is not about me, I get nothing out of this, and that's okay. Listen, listen, look at me. Jesus will help you say to yourself more and more throughout your life, this is not about me, I get nothing out of what I'm about to do, and that's okay. That last part, and I'm okay with that. That's the heart change that Jesus will work in your life. You can do the first two for a little while. This isn't about me. I don't get anything out of it. You can, you can scrunch up and do it one time. Anyone can do that. But to do it in the long run takes Jesus. In the long run. Look at 11 through 12. 11 through 12. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Look at these words that he uses. And think, look at the theme here. Not lagging behind. Fervent, which means staying passionate. Persevering. Devoted. Almost like at a wedding, the vows. Devoted. These are all words that are connected to endurance. Perseverance. The long haul. Not being, not, not being passionate, but staying passionate. Do you see the difference? 
Not being passionate in the moment, but staying passionate over the long haul. Devoted, which means long-lasting. Listen to this. I wrote it in bold so you know it's important. Christian, thank you, Misty. Christian maturity is measured in distance, not speed. Christian maturity is measured in distance, not speed. Distance. It takes time to go far. There is no other way around it. It takes time to go far in the Christian life. Speed leads to burnout. Collide is coming up. Beach camp is coming up, right? We're excited. I went to beach camp as a high school senior, and I loved it. You know I loved it because I wept every night, right? I absolutely adored beach camp. I thought it was awesome. I come home. I'm fired up for Jesus. Me and my friend Reed Merwin, we're gonna, who's left the faith since then, uh, we're going to read through the whole New Testament that summer. We got back from camp. We're going to read through the whole New Testament. Didn't even start. Never even started it. The way to see if God's working in your life is viewed over time. Is viewed over time. James 5 compares the Christian life to the life of a farmer. Shout out to the brewers, right? James, yeah, there we go. James 5 compares the Christian life to the life of a farmer. Farmers, listen, listen. Farmers don't plant crops on Monday, come out Tuesday and see nothing. And be like, Are you kidding me? That's not what farmers do. Is it, Brooks? That's right. No. I, I'm glad you weren't like, oh, uh, actually, and then it was going to be <laughs> awful. But listen, farmers don't plant crops on Monday and then come out Tuesday and see nothing. Be like, Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? James could have used anything here. Listen, 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 listen. James could have used anything here to describe the life of a Christian. And he decides to use the example of someone who is familiar with patiently waiting. He could have used anything to describe the life of a Christian. And he uses someone who is familiar with patiently waiting. That should tell us something about our own lives as believers. So often on Instagram we see posts from churches that are like, and I'm not trying to, but you get it. We see posts from churches who are like, five people gave their life to Jesus today. 75 people committed their lives to Christ today. And, and praise God, and that's awesome. But it reminds me of a story from a guy named Francis Chan. Francis, C-H-A-N. He is all over YouTube. He wrote Crazy Love. He's amazing, all right? You should check it out. He is speaking at a youth camp, and it's Francis Chan, so he kills it, right? And you got, you got 50 kids coming up the first night, 100 kids coming up the second night, 10 billion kids coming up the third night to give their life to Jesus, right? And his intern at the time was like, man, this was awesome. I wonder how many of them were legit. I wonder how many of these conversions were actually legit. And Francis Chan said, we'll see in a year. We'll see in a year. The only way you can tell is through time. The Christian maturity is measured in distance, not speed. And so often, these conference and Instagram preachers put so much emphasis on the immediate flash-in-the-pan conversion. And listen, and they do not stress the importance of what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Faithfully enduring suffering over the long haul. Loving someone and staying their friend in difficulty over the long haul. Honestly confronting someone and then pursuing them even after they're mad at you. This is what Christians are called to do. And this is not possible for you without God's grace. This is not possible for you 
to do in the long haul without God's grace. Romans 12, 13. 12, 13. And when I find it, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Paul is essentially telling Christians you're contributing to the saints money, right? Practicing hospitality. Paul is telling Christians to put their money where their mouth is, right? Shout out 1988 when people said that, right? Put their money where their mouth is, okay? If you really believe, now this is what he's saying, this is what he's saying. If you really believe that you are saved by grace through faith, why are you spending so much time as if money is all that there is? If you really believe you're saved by grace through faith, why are you spending all your time and energy on money as if that's all that matters? Give your money. And some of you are like, Ryan, I'm 12. I don't have money to give. That's a fair point, right? But listen, listen, and this is what's so huge. Now listen, don't, let ever, don't ever let anyone tell you different here. Money is an extension of your heart, period. Money is an extension of of your heart and you can practice giving your heart away at this age then when you have money your heart will already know how to give it away how to management how to manage it money is an extension of your heart so even if you don't have money you can practice giving your heart so that when your heart now has money it's already conditioned to be sacrificial with it and giving with it and a good steward with it. How can you give your heart for ministry tomorrow, tonight? Is it time with your family instead of being locked away in your room on your phone? Is it asking the kid with no one to sit or is it asking the kid with no one to sit with to come and sit with you tomorrow at school? I'm surprised at how many new people in church don't then reach out to other new people. How many new people at school don't then reach out to other new people. You know what it was like, right? You know what it was like. Is it spending, is, is it telling someone at school who just endured a loss that you're praying for them? How do you reach out to someone with the gospel? This is something that we try to learn all the time. How do you share the gospel with someone? One of the ways, the key is to look for avenues, and one of the key ways is suffering. If someone in your life is going through suffering, this is a quick, good way to bring the gospel to them, to tell them you're praying for them. And last one, is it spending time with God and praying on your own? Maybe you don't really have anyone to give to. Well, give to God sacrifice read and pray to him 13 also says to practice hospitality we are to give what we have our time our money our friendships to those in need to those who may not be able to give back to us a couple more and then we'll be done all right we're going to do some bible hopping a little bit should be sure you stretch no one needs to pull a hammy on a night like this right so we're going to go romans 12 14 then we're going to look at 17 and then 19 through 21 so 14, 17, then 19 through 21, okay? It's not too bad. 14, you can, and you'll see the theme here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Then 19 through 21, never 
Take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will, help, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see the theme here, right? When you are wronged, we don't wrong back. It's not what we do. And here's two ways to, to apply this. This thought process, when you are wronged, wrong right back. This thought process of Paul is the polar opposite of what seems to be happening in America today. We live in what some people have called, and you guys are, are growing up in the middle of it, of what's called call-out culture. Where the best, and you, some of you already know where I'm going, where the best way to get someone is in a 60-second soundbite or in a comment on social media. This quick, quick response time, no time to think, just passion and anger lashing out. We as Christians, you as Christians growing up in this culture, and this is what's ironic about social media is because this is one of the few ways, I think, where in a lot of ways the adults cannot help you, where even I am not as able to help you as I would like to be, because even because of my age. You guys are kind of going it on your own. We don't have data on this. We don't have doctors and, and scientists recordings and notes on this because it's just happening now. So you guys are at the forefront of this. And we do not participate in call-out culture as Christians and as members of this church. Uh, we go to the Passion Conference every year, whoop, whoop, right? And you guys may have seen them. I don't know if you did, but... Every year, outside the bins or Phillips or wherever we go, there's some person, for lack of a better word, out front with a megaphone and a sign yelling about how passion is the devil, Louis Giglio eats raw spaghetti, and like just like going crazy and being angry and mean, right? I know, that was intense. Don't email me. That was intense, right? Like yelling all these mean things, and every year, it doesn't happen here, it ain't going to happen here, but every year, some college kid, thinks he's the chosen one who's going to come out and change this guy and like offer him a bottle of water and, and try to engage with him. And it never works. It will never work. And the reason I don't let our students engage with him is because this person doesn't want to be helped. Does that make sense? They're there with one agenda to get this done selfishly, arrogantly, and they don't want to change. And in the same way, listen, call-out culture is not designed for growth and help. Twitter was never meant to be a tool for instrumental social change. Do you know who said that? The dude who invented it. The guy who invented Twitter said, y'all are using Twitter wrong. This is not the way it was meant to be used. You will never, you will never, you will never post a comment on social media against someone and that person comment back, wow, thank you, man. I really needed that. that you're right. I'm going to go change. Hang on, let me go change. It's never going to happen because call-out culture is not designed for that to happen. Social media is not a place to engage in strict debate for deep change. So remove your, you don't have to delete your social media per se, but if you have a hard time and a quick trigger finger, it is not for you. It is not for you. Remove yourself from that temptation and from that culture. But listen, listen, let's go deeper. But when you are treated unfairly, 
when things in life go wrong at the hands of someone else, when things in life go wrong at the hands of someone else, everything in your being and mine is going to want to, to rush in and do the polar opposite of what Paul teaches here. When someone else wrongs you, every fiber of your being is going to want to do the opposite of what I just said. It's going to creep in and poison you. You won't be able to rest until you get them back, until you get the last word, until you gossip about them when they're not here, until you've hurt them the way they have hurt you. Listen, until you've hurt them the way they hurt you. But Jesus says, you don't have to hurt them because I was hurt for the way that they hurt you. I was hurt for the way that they hurt you. The punishment that you want to dole out on them has already been served and it was doled out on me for them. I was crucified. I paid the penalty for their sin. So bring your hurt to me. As Christians, we do not repay evil for evil. We do not take revenge. We take our pain to Jesus. As Christians, we do not repay evil for evil. We do not take revenge. We take our pain to Jesus. It has to go somewhere. Your pain has to go somewhere. You are not a robot, I don't think, right? You will have to take that anger somewhere. You must take it to Jesus. Listen, you must take it to Jesus before it spills over. This is not saying that anger is bad. We just talked about that. This is not saying that you have to be a doormat and let everyone walk over you. No, listen to me. You are allowed to tell someone that you do not appreciate what was said about you or you do not appreciate what was done to you. Speak the truth. But verse 19 is not about speaking the truth. Verse 19 is about revenge, about rubbing their face in it, about showboating and letting the other guy know it. Listen, we don't do that. We don't do that. Why? Because listen to me. Because our leader washed the feet of the man who killed him. Our leader washed the feet of the man who killed him. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but it's pretty clear based on that point in the evening that Satan had already taken possession of Judas. So let me ask you, whose feet was Jesus really washing there? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know yet. But I want you to think about that. Either way, our leader washed the feet of the man who killed him. So listen to me. How can you say? And so when someone burns you in sports or in a, in a group or as friends or on social media, listen to me. How can you say you follow Jesus and want to get somebody back when the one who, who you follow humbled himself like that? You see what I mean? The one who you claim to follow humbled himself like that. Wash the feet of the guy who killed him. And you say you follow Jesus, but you're not satisfied until you can clap back as loud as you want. It doesn't add up here. This takes so much strength. For Jesus to do what he did takes so much strength. I don't even know how to explain it. And the reason I say that, listen, is to show you that Jesus is strong enough to handle all your pain. He can take it. I swear. He can take it. He is strong enough. 
Bring, what does he say? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Robert Smith Jr. is a pastor whose son was gunned down at his job on October 30th, 2010. Listen to what he said. He got the call that night with his wife. While I was weeping that night, the Lord kept me and my wife. The Lord kept them. His grace helps us not to seek revenge. How did the Lord keep him? Listen. In the midst of that moment, when it was so easy, think about how, if anyone else has an excuse, right? How it, when it was so easy to hate and be vindictive, God conditioned my heart and did something that only He could do. God enabled me to forgive the murderer, to love the murderer, and to still communicate with the murderer. And I believe that one day He will be redeemed and one day worship at the throne next to my Son. And worship the God who gave his life that all of us might be saved. Think about that. You cannot do this immediately. You can't just flip that switch. You need a long obedience. You need to endure by God's grace, just like Paul already talked about. Listen. When hate is constantly following you, when it just burns you, what was done to you, and it won't let go, you might be able to get it together for a moment and say no. But it will not last unless God changes your heart. If someone took Kristen from me, I have no idea how I would do that. But look at what he said. Listen, the Lord kept me. God conditioned my heart. God enabled me to love the murderer, to still communicate with the murderer. That's not a quick thing. To still, he's still communicating with the murderer. They write letters with his son's killer. That is not a quick thing. This is a devoted, long obedience, Romans 12. God's grace gives us the strength for long obedience. Anyone can hunker down and get through it one time. But God gives us the strength and the changed heart to be faithful over the long haul. Listen to me. This stuff that I'm teaching you is not behavior modification. It's not. Stop doing this and... Stop holding a grudge and start enduring. Stop doing this and start doing this. Start giving away all your money over time. Stop, start doing this. You Listen to me. Look at me. You just came back from the bathroom. We're all, we're all still here. We're okay. This is not behavior modification. Because, listen to me because you can't do this. I can't do this. I, what, what, what good am I if I tell you to do something that I can't even do? God's grace gives us the strength to do this. This is what happens as a result of God's grace. Remember, this is Romans 12. Paul has spent 11 chapters, over half the book, laying out the gospel before he starts telling you what to do. Because if you don't know the gospel, you can't do Romans 12. This is the gospel. This is God changing your heart so that these things are now 
possible. Imagine being able to let go of that anger, letting go of that lust, how awesome it would feel. Only through God's grace can we do it. Last one, and I just felt like you guys need to hear this one. Romans 12, 18. 12, 18, and then we'll be done. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace. Paul is reading my mail, guys, because I can't stand it when someone's mad at me. I hate it. It drives me crazy. It gets in my brain, and it just inception, and I just explode. When someone gets mad at me, right? I can't stand it. It ruins my day. But here's another thing that Jesus can help you with, that he helps me with. We think of Christianity as this epic event, this big thing, and it is a big thing, but it has effects on us all the way down into the small things. Sometimes people will just not be cool with you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes people will just not be cool with you. They won't want to get along with you. They'll hold a grudge for something that doesn't even make sense. They'll be difficult to get along with, and you'll have to either work with them or whatever. So what do you do? What does Paul say? As far as it depends on you. Well, let's look at that first. Are you making the effort, right? Is something wrong that you need to apologize for? Maybe you don't think it's a big deal, but as far as it depends on you, are you making that effort? Inviting them to something, trying to make friends, trying to figure this out. Again, will you speak the truth in love? Hey, man, let's talk about this. Uh, Bob and I have worked together for almost six years now, and we've kind of gotten into it twice. The first time was when I got into it with someone else at work a little bit, and I was just an intern. I was just a fool, and Bob was in the room, and so the next day, he tells me, he's like, man, I owe you an apology. It's not every day that your boss apologizes to you. And he said, I should have stepped in to help you with this, and I didn't do it, and I'm sorry. And that totally changed the game for me with Bob. And then, like three weeks ago, he and I were having a, a theological discussion, okay? And we kind of got into it a little bit, and I'm not super proud of it, but whatever, okay? We got into it a little bit, and it, and it just ended on like a kind of thing, you know what I mean? And so I went in like 15 minutes later, and I was like, dude, I love you. I'm sorry. That was not how... And he was like, man, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And it was, and it was good. And our... I remember exactly what he said when he apologized to me for the first time. That stuff, those are the people who are going to be at your wedding. Those are the people that you're going to be friends with for the rest of your life. Are you willing to go into it with somebody, to get past the sugar coat and get into it and lean into that friendship? Now listen, as far as it depends on you, sometimes that doesn't help. As far as it depends on you is Paul's way of saying, remember, this doesn't just depend on you. Listen, it doesn't just depend on you. The other person has to be willing to come to you with this. And if they're not, that's not your fault. You don't have to let that poison you. That's on them. They're accountable to God now for not letting this go. You've done, that's Paul's way of saying, you did the best you can. Now you have to trust that God approves of that and let that be enough. Let me get back up here, sorry. Okay. Um, are you praying for them? Are you praying for a change of heart? Listen, if God can change your heart from sin, he can definitely help build a friendship between you and the weird guy, right? Or the weird girl. What You get it, right? Again, whose opinion do you really value? God can give us the strength. God can change our hearts 
so that we will value what he thinks. God can change your heart so that this is possible. If you will follow him, he will change your heart so that this is possible. Let's pray, and then the band will come up, and then we'll be done. Thank you.